Welcome to Design Confab. I'm Daniel Nelson, writer for Atelier Tally, and each episode I sit down with a lovely person that I have met in the design industry. This time I'm chatting with industrial designer David Irwin about protecting designs for the future. David Irwin is an industrial designer driven by a curiosity for how and why things are made. He says, design ideas grow from a desire to assign purpose to both traditional and contemporary manufacturing processes. He's won numerous awards, designed for many companies, and even teaches at Northumbria University. That's still correct, is it? That is still, still <laughs> the case. <laughs> he says, everything I do is about reducing unnecessary form, but it's about finding that tension between stripping things back and bringing out the character. Not going too far where you take the value and beauty out of it. Um, I have a couple of armchairs by David in my apartment. I realised as I was writing this yesterday. Excellent. I have the uh, the Jed armchair, st- still sold by Habitat. I double checked last night. <laughs> um, so I know your work up close. We've obviously worked together as well, and uh, had a few drunken nights in Milan. <laughs> so we know each other fairly well. Uh, so welcome, David, to my podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, before we dive in, um, I wanted to ask you about that Habitat chair, as I thought it must be a proud moment to an extent to see the chair in Habitat, but also still in Habitat. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I think actually literally 10 years this, ah, this really? season, effectively, okay. um, which is nice. But but yeah, I mean, that was that goes back to 2007. Um, that was a final year project when I was studying at university and did you show you showed that in new designers didn't I did you? Yeah. yeah so and that's sort of where it was picked up by um by Habitat it was Bethan Bethan Gray who was then uh, head of design at Habitat and she picked it up from from the show and that was the first piece of furniture that that I designed that went into into production full, full production um scale production so that was yeah fantastic moment and and yeah. Did, did you get royalties or a fee for that? Royalties. So oh. yeah, that was it. Was um, at the time it was yeah because I was so naive, literally straight out of university and, and not really having any experience in this sort of thing in terms of royalties and, and what to do. And uh, luckily, I decided to go with the royalties, even though you know it wouldn't. At that stage, you know, you knowing what I know cash. now, I probably would have. Well, no, I would have. Uh, no, I think I made the right decision going yeah. with the royalties based on what its theme. longevity. So I've definitely made... So you never know, though, do you, when it starts? Exactly. Like it could have just been there for a year and then gone. Exactly. <laughs> but knowing, you know, more about, uh, about how these things work and, and the, the contracts and the royalties, I would have definitely tried to negotiate a, <laughs> a better <laughs> percentage um, well, based on what they offer. But I guess to an extent they were taking a punt on an, a, a, an unknown designer. Exactly. So it does, it does work both ways. And, you know, I'm... I'm very grateful for that opportunity because it did help me it, to establish myself in the industry as a designer and yeah it helped it was the first step along the road in, in terms of becoming credible in a, in a, in a sense yeah um, you know letting other manufacturers and other um, design brands see me aligned with the likes of Habitat, Habitat. helped to, to get that next Habitat next 10 years ago as well was was a different place. It was, it was a very, very different. Am I allowed to say it's better? <laughs> I probably I would say, say that. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was, it, yeah. It's been, so that chair has lasted longer than some of Habitat's owners have now. That's, yeah, that's quite a nice uh, <laughs> third, way to look at it. The third, is it the third owner since then? Third or fourth? Third, I think. It, yeah, it's gone to, I keep getting, um, it's now different correspondence from all these different owners and <laughs> <laughs> so lose track of who is actually running running the, as long uh, as they company. keep track of your royalties check yeah exactly <laughs> that's what it yeah, comes down to um and did bethan help you on navigating the fee royalty thing at all then uh or was um, she just I'm trying to remember like i think it was you... more obviously bethan's input was more of the design side of things um but I, yeah i don't i can't no, remember that that a team of people that oh, then you were dealing with different people yeah different much the finance yeah. and, and and the royalty side of it was yeah a different department hmm. um and i sort of went away with the contracts they were given or that yeah they, they presented to me and yeah approached a few other people that i knew in, right. in the industry for a little bit of advice but even then it was you know i didn't know that many people um it's quite interesting well actually not that i want to do a podcast about that sort of thing but um there isn't as much practical advice out there in those where people are being really honest um yeah normally it's kind of hidden where no one really wants to say it up front because you, so you have to ask around really yes, to get those yeah. conversations definitely um and maybe you should do a podcast about that <laughs> the next one ask a few different people <laughs> at different stages of their career yeah that'd be done. quite insightful i mean and going back to my position at that time you know I was straight out of university and, and you, you're not really taught too much of that side of thing yeah um, the sort of finances and yeah. the business side of it at university well I wasn't at that point although things have I think moved on a little bit um, and I know yeah the, the course in which I teach on at Northumbria uh, University 3D Design they do try and bring people in um, from the industry either ex-graduates right. or alumni or people actually operating so um, it's not just academics exactly it's, it's trying to give them that real world access and, and experience yeah such as <laughs> what do you do when you're approached with a royalty yeah. contract um, just I guess to give them an insight they can come back to you or you could go back to them when it was in reverse but they can come to you and ask you those questions because yeah, you've precisely. got that conversation precisely. with them already yeah hmm um, okay, I'm going to move on from Habitat. <laughs> uh, so the other part I wanted to ask you before I almost get into the questions I emailed, which was um, uh, one of the, in that statement that I said, one of the things that I picked out was um, that you, okay, I'm going to read the whole thing again. Everything I do is about reducing unnecessary form, but it's about finding that tension between, this is the point, stripping things back and bringing out the character, not going too far where you take the beauty out of it. Um, and well we just said it off uh, off before we recorded but i'm going to hand over to you and you can tell me more what you mean about that okay well i mean i suppose it's it's tough to try and summarize but <laughs> i mean a lot of what i do is about reduction and reducing unnecessary material use um and trying to trying to use a manufacturing process with an appropriate material right. in such a way that you end up with a nice sort of resolved product. That's <laughs> when do you know thought. when, like, each time you're looking at stripping something back, uh, to use that phrase so 
like explicitly but when you're like um okay how each section you can go through and keep changing when do you stop <laughs> uh it's hard it's hard to stop at times but um some of that's driven by uh by the pressure of the, the deadline right. um but equally it's sort of experience and knowing like now it's when it works and, yeah and also the testing and modeling so so, for instance, you say it's a, oh, right. say it's a foot rail on a, on a stool where you're trying to maybe reduce the form back to, to make it quite delicate, but obviously that needs to yeah. be robust enough to, <laughs> to stand up with, with the, the, the use. Um, someone actually needs to apply a lot of weight onto that. Mm. So you need to test that, actually produce the prototype, um, see what you can get away with in terms of what's the minimum amount of material you need in yeah. order to, to have the strength but also have the um, the appearance so mm -hmm. it's marrying the structural integrity with the with the, the aesthetic um, so that's a lot of, you know that there's a lot of does that inform some of the materials as well then like, yeah absolutely so I can get this very thin profile with this with steel or something yeah exactly like so very basic example is you can use steel in that situation yeah um and you can have a smaller sort of cross-sectional profile with steel in that mm -hmm. particular material versus uh, timber where you would need a much larger cross-section. Right. So that, the then, that immediately <coughs> dictates yeah. what you can do with that in terms of the form and... Because um, taking those two materials in, so the Jed armchair that I've got, yes. if that was in the same profile, uh, is that the right word? Uh, as, yeah, I guess it is, as the Working Girl collection... <laughs> Yes. That would be a very thin, flimsy chair. Yeah, if, 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 if you were to reduce <laughs> the... legs the, might break or something. Yeah, you know. it wouldn't be feasible. Yeah. So in a, in a way, actually, that that's a good example of the Jared armchair because that... Yeah, I, I literally reduced that, the diameter, the, the, the cross-sectional profile of that timber in the frame right. down to, to the minimum in but terms of structure, but also aesthetic. Right. Um, and yeah, we, we in a way we pushed it as far as we could go, um, mm. whilst retaining its, its structural um, stability and integrity. It hasn't collapsed yet on me. Good, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. I like my Urkel studio couch, which I like, but the legs are very thin, and after so much time, I think every leg is broken. At oh some really? Point. <laughs> Remember at one point it was up on. Uh, I used to refer to it as up on bricks, but that's a terrible probably thing to say. <laughs> Where I use the, you know, the yellow design classics, Fiden yes. books. They, that was the they perfect make a height. Sofa leg, okay. <laughs> to replace the. So they're, the they're pretty sturdy. Yeah. So I think for about six months, there was that in the corner of my Urkel studio couch propping it up. <laughs> <laughs> a good use. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, should we use the working girl as a as a good example? One here about stripping back because yeah, absolutely. It's a very familiar uh, concept. The utilitarian like yeah. a, started with the stool. Am I right? That's yeah, it. Yeah. Um, was it like a high stool actually or a low stool? Because there's two versions now. Aren't yeah, there's. I mean, there's well, hundreds of different <laughs> iterations of that collection now. But uh, uh, the very first piece was the the stool, which. I mean that started life as a commission for some for some workshop stills. Oh right. Um, it wasn't the Holland Park School one, was it? I no, no, that actually look, that, came that, was, that came later. Uh, but that was quite <coughs> a nice story because yeah. yeah, that went into Holland Park 
um, school their their technology design and technology workshops um, so yeah kind of came full circle because it came from that idea yeah and precisely and back in <laughs> the commission was to make to make these uh, these stools so at that time this was quite early on in my career as well when I was doing a little bit of designer making so I was actually manufacturing uh, uh, these these products myself um, before I sort of went purely design right so the, the still yeah it, it how are you how are you manufacturing so you were literally making the frames and the seat and yeah so the this was when I was at um, <laughs> I graduated but I was I was doing something called designers in residence which was oh, yeah. it's sort of like a post um, postgraduate scheme that the university where, where I studied offer uh, in order for you to set up your own business and, and yeah start your own practice going, yeah so I was allowed to use their workshops and it was their workshops that I was <laughs> building these stools for um, so yeah, so so right from the word go, these stills had to be very robust and fit for <coughs> purpose. <laughs> yeah, you know they're going to get a lot of use and a lot of abuse in in this workshop. Mm. And it, yeah, so the the form of the still is very much, you know, it's referencing that archetypal utilitarian sort of post-war steel frame stool and chair that's yeah. quite ubiquitous. Yeah. But I wanted to, again, strip it back to its, its bare bones, its bare elements, and integrate levels of even even more functionality and, and refinement. Um, so a lot of the proportions, um, a lot of the, the final details with the tube bends and the footrest on the on the whole profile, the, the side tube. A lot of that was quite refined from some of these original yeah, reference points. Did you get some of the other ones? Did you buy some and have a look at them all? Uh, well, there was, there was a couple of sort of existing ones already in university. So it, the reason why the <coughs> university actually asked me to do this because they were rubbish. They weren't stacking. Right. They were sort of just horrible little things that were <laughs> they 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 weren't really the, doing the, do the job properly. Because the, the Robin, Robin Day did a similar one as well, but with the plastic seats. Yes, the, the, versus the injection the, molded seats. Yeah. 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 Um, those ones, I mean, I remember those at school, but I don't know. Was it those ones, or was it actually like no? They were even further back, even worse <coughs> than this. Oh, they right. were, um, <laughs> yeah, just horrible generic things. But but the main thing was that they didn't stack. Yeah. Properly. Right. So that was the main area which I tried to improve on. Yeah. So there's a little press detail within the working girl stools, which you don't really necessarily see. Um, but that oh. allows it to slot just nicely. Yeah, just look here. It's a sort of like a male, female oh, okay. um, thing, so it allows the next one to stack upon. And without it starting to topple over a bit, and like you can only do exactly so it's four it, high before it falls over. Exactly, <laughs> but theoretically, with this little press detail, it locates it quite nicely, locks right. the, locks them together when they're stacked. Yeah, and you can stack quite. A quite a, you know, a considerable amount of these. I suppose um, that's the type of product where if you just saw it at a show and you're just looking at it on a stage, you don't know until you start using it that these yeah. little things work well. Precisely. Um, which is hard to communicate to somebody. Yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to sell, but <coughs> but ultimately that's <laughs> those are the things I, I find value in yeah. as, a, as a consumer, a user of, of furniture and product. I get so much more enjoyment and use out of something that works well mm. that's been considered in in that way yeah um, than just than something that's just been <laughs> designed 
purely based on appearance or, or it's aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, and it's the, um, yeah, I guess you have to think about like the wear and tear of these products. They're going to go through a lot and they hopefully will be around for a long time, yeah. which uh, is quite a challenge in itself. But um, things like the, was it always in red to start with? Now you can get it in. Uh, you can pretty much get it any color you want out. if you order enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the first one was the first the first uh, iteration. They were yeah they were red. And was that something like powder coated steel or something? Yeah, just right. powder coated powder coated steel. Um, and is those are the the reason I'm asking this, not just to get geeky about <laughs> paint, but um, there's then having to look at like how thick the paint is the layer or is this completely off no no yeah well that's I mean, even a consideration I mean, there's different ways again it's, it's, it's looking at the process in detail so you can specify certain um or, or different powders whenever you so, so powder coating isn't necessarily a, just a, one a, a technical but it's not really a paint finish because you're you're spraying a fine powder mm-hmm. onto the metal which is it has an electric current running through it so yeah. the, the powder then attracts to the to the steel or the metal, um, and you can use these different types of powders to achieve uh, yeah better, oh, okay. better results. And you can you can also so pre coat the metal, um, prime it with ah, right. different <laughs> different powders, different finishes. You can electroplate them and so so on to to enhance that that finish right. dependent on on its use where it's going to end up. Um, you can galvanize it, for instance, before if it's going to be used outdoors, and then you can powder coat over the galvanized right. finish to to stop it from rusting exactly yeah. yeah so there's, there's lots of things you can do um and i suppose these again are the things that yeah. you don't necessarily see when you when you yeah when you consume when you buy the product um, you just think that looks a bit like the same thing as this but yeah exactly you, you, know. you look at it and say oh i like that color but yeah <laughs> you don't necessarily yeah think beyond that i guess this is where uh i don't want to criticize other companies too much but i think lots of people who know me or read my blog already know how I feel about some of the cheaper brands uh, it's not that I um, I'm just a, kind of against that fashion side yes. of like because they're producing it just to throw away yeah. a little bit and <clears throat> when you have to make something that's going to last a bit longer you have to start thinking differently you do you do <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a greater investment of of time yeah uh, of finance of of, mm. of effort um in but order to you don't have to replace it then so exactly you know if it lasts the to uh, completely borrow mark adams at vitsu's line that he always used to say it's not his line uh, is i'm not rich enough to buy cheaply <clears throat> it was an anonymous quote but it's in every vitsu brochure yep. because it's kind of a nice little clever line it is it you is. keep replacing these products over and over again it costs more than buying a good quality one absolutely and keeping it's, it forever yeah, absolutely it's um and in this sort of environment we're in sort of a, a co-working yeah <laughs> uh, space you know some of the products that i design um end up in these sort of spaces and it's interesting to see um uh, yeah you do actually have things in the office group don't you as well yes yeah I think one in leeds uh is that right no uh, yeah potentially <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> i think you've got some of these the, um the arm uh what was the armchair for the cinema oh that's another dead good product the uh the lounger the tyneside that's it lounger, yeah and I think it's some working girl. And the working girl, of course, yeah. I've taken pictures of him in <laughs> the Whitechapel one specifically. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting because you, you hear about some of the stories about some of the products from other companies that yeah. are constantly being either replaced or repaired um, in these sort of 
cool I think um, the, the office group um, uh, I'm going to be positive here because <laughs> I, lo- I like the office group <clears throat> but as soon as I'm naming them um, uh, when I first joined the office group uh, this is years ago now he did used to see piles of broken chairs in the corner they don't I don't know whether they have those products anymore it's almost like a learning process that yeah. the office group have had to go through is which products last and which don't yeah. and they've developed their own chair with menu they, they get a lot of use in these places yeah. so you really see when products fail yeah absolutely <laughs> whereas a domestic situation things will last a lot longer anyway cause, yeah you know, they're not they're not going through the same no the same use people somewhere. either treat them differently but they just don't use them as frequently yeah, they, don't, they don't get the same footfall they don't, they don't yeah. have people and you don't have people necessarily abusing them in the same yeah. way because you know a lot of people don't necessarily respect them the same if they're not if, it, if they're not their if own if it's not their own yeah. yeah they just think I'm paying for this you know it's like a members club or something yeah um, I'm going to look uh, at my screen for a minute and say something positive because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, saying bad things and a friend of mine told me I needed to be more positive on my podcast <laughs> uh, if you're listening Ike I am actually trying to trying. <clears throat> um, but okay. in, in, in defence of some of these companies as well I mean it is it, it is difficult and you don't always get it right um, yeah it's, it does take yeah trial and error and and if you're churning products out every year you they don't you don't get to test them for that length of period yeah and, 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 it, and, and the best the best case scenario is that you, you, you rigorously test your your products um before you fully launch them but that's not always yeah possible um yeah because like we, we, we touched on it earlier on there in terms of the investment it takes to actually bring some of these products to market mm-hmm. and you need to start recouping some of that investment as quickly as possible really, yeah, yeah and and it takes a while even when you launch a product it takes a while for that to to gain traction um, yeah the uptake and, and before people start recognizing that product yeah and some of that may come down to actually using it and understanding why it's a good product um yeah, so it takes a while, so you, you do need to recoup. Um, and it, everyone, everyone's had it. I mean, I've worked with manufacturers, and you have worked with manufacturers, and uh, not everything goes swimmingly. You put it under a bit of pressure, and it suddenly, uh, that didn't work. Yeah. And But then you go back to the drawing board, and you fix it. Yeah, and, so, and ultimately, it, it, it helps to create the next product. Yeah. And to create a better product the next time around. It's uh, I, I, I just remember it. Oh, sorry, I'm going to sound negative again. Um, I just remember seeing that pile of chairs and thinking, this is a really terrible advert because I'm sat, they should have almost cleared the whole thing out. Mm. If I was that manufacturer, I would have gone in and taken them out um, rather than allowing them to sit there yeah. in a chair graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just, you know, as the logos, as uh, the good thing is you stick a logo on your chairs and the bad thing is when they break, the logo's on the chairs. Exactly, <laughs> Um, I've got uh, some other questions actually for you Um, actually no I've got this little here so I uh, emailed David and asked him if we could talk about protecting design which we're now going (laughs) to talk about of course this is also part of of it really Um, as you've been designing products under your own studio name for the last seven years Uh, yes just over seven years okay um, and this is something I had discussed with Paula Day, daughter of Robin and Lucien Day, uh, who spoke about how important it is to consider this whilst as, uh, whilst still designing, uh, sorry, to consider protecting design whilst still designing and not leave it until it's too late, not 
that I'm suggesting you're about to die or something. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> her criticism, in a way, was that there wasn't much consideration. He was just kind of, you know, they were just going along doing stuff, and mm-hmm. it was great, and licenses, and um, but protecting. So her her message almost back was, um, it's really important to actually think about it from the beginning. Mm. Is how you think, see the longevity of products, what your legacy is, and or, you know, and in a way, if she could go back, she would be talking about those things. Um, well, one while they were both still alive, yeah, but also much earlier in the conversation. It's and it may it struck me as I don't think anyone really thinks about that. So if you say the Jed armchair, you're you're like great Habitat want to take it, yeah, but you never really think where that's going to go. You never think it's going to be there 10 years and could still be there in 100 years' time. This is true. I mean, <laughs> when you're designing and when I'm designing a product, I mean, I, I try to to create something that has that longevity. That's that's always a name. Yeah. You know, I don't want to create one of these throwaway products that are just <laughs> here today, gone tomorrow. Um, but you never really know how successful a product's going to be that's going to have that lifespan. Yeah. Um, no, you've got no idea until you put it out there. Precisely. Um, <laughs> you know, you can design something you think is going to be absolutely yeah. fantastic, a, a yeah. bestseller, and it, it doesn't do very well. For I mean, some of it can come down to the company in marketing. Is Do they get behind it? Do they not get behind it? Exactly. Yeah. Some, sometimes, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a big factor. And you can <laughs> market a, a bad product. And, yeah. <laughs> and equally, sometimes a good product can, you know, survive on its on its own merits um but yeah going back to the to the point of longevity and design protection i suppose um never really i, I know i don't really consider it beyond the sort of short term what well, medium to short term like 20 25 years which is the protection you're you're, you're given yeah. um through <coughs> design registration mm-hmm. um i love the the law has recently changed. I think it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, and the, I've, um, I've written a lot about it, and I can't remember now what it is. <laughs> it's, article, it's, article it's now. Uh, <laughs> it's off. It's so it's after the designer dies now, rather than the product being produced. Yes, but it's it's so previously the anything that was industrial uh, industrially produced. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, wasn't, um, wasn't protected. protected. Yeah. Um, now it is, but you have to prove that it is. Um, I think the the term is of artistic craftsmanship, um. which is a very grey area because mm. that has to be sort of uh, proven in court. Yeah. Um, and if you if you are granted this, um, it's I think it, yeah, as you say, it's after yeah. the designer's death. It's been mm-hmm. protected for seventy five years Something after like death. Yeah, I think it's a long time. Which is a long time. There's so only a few products. I think they're are out of side of that they're still on the market yeah uh I think of the tonic products mm-hmm. or uh um there's one other i'm thinking are oh, the uh tolix yes that's outside of that because that's actually like 18 something or 18 yeah, yeah. i think it's 1836 yeah so it's, it's a lot of these that. sort of mid-century <laughs> modern products that yeah could potentially so be around for another yeah. hundred years but i think the interesting thing with that is in order to secure that, because um, it's a very different thing to the, the design registration. Um, so in order to secure that, as I said, it has to be proven to be this art- artistic mm. craftsmanship. But in order to 
or I, I think vaguely from memory, um, the more f- the more functional your product is, the less likely it is you'll you'll be granted this this okay. longer copyright protection. I just remember reading and, and feeling yeah. that there was a there was a big conflict between right the sort of work I do in terms of industrial design and yeah. production, uh, you know, on scale, where you are trying to produce a functional thing that's not necessarily yeah of artistic merit yeah it's not like a um a uh, martin houston like lounge chair exactly it's, it's, it's called um where you know you can you can look at that and say that but a functional product yeah it's, it's it's not something that's going to it's not like a statement mm. piece that's going to sit in a hotel lobby on its own yeah it's going to be something that sits quietly in a corner in an job. office group op- uh, <laughs> office that does its job day in day out, so it probably wouldn't wouldn't you know yeah be justified for this protection. Um, it's a, a similar. Uh, so Paul Day, although I'm hoping to get Paul Day on the podcast as well because we had many chats um, when she was setting up the foundation, and but she, one of the things that she ended up having to do was not rely on the law to protect, but to start to market products endorsed by the foundation okay so almost that one of the parts of the foundation is they will work with certain manufacturers who are going to respect the original design and for lucien and robin and work closely with the foundation so that then it's a license no not license it's an endorsed product by the foundation and they can use then that as a mark um versus other products that are on the market that she's not having those conversations with somebody that could just uh, and that's going to take a long period of time mm-hmm. but it's actually building up that as a mark of quality yeah versus worrying about the law so you try and get consumers to decide i'm going to buy this product because it's actually endorsed by the daughter of the designer absolutely and i think i think that's that's key in terms of what you just said there in terms of getting the consumer on side that's where I that's partly where the problem lies in terms of buying cheap imitations of knockoff design. Yeah. Um, there's a almost a bit of a, a disconnect or a misunderstanding mm. from the consumer side of things. So a misunderstanding of what design is. If you yeah. ask if you ask someone if you say design to someone, they largely just think, Oh, it's how it looks. It's it's purely a visual yeah. thing. There's a sort of <laughs> yeah, just the aesthetics of something yeah, like it. The, uh, I read somewhere it's quite a good little quote. Oh, I'm not going to be able to remember it now. Um, <laughs> I think it's something like design is seen as, um, yeah, design is seen as an ingredient, not as a process. Yeah, it's almost seen as some sort of little, it's, it's some magic dust that you sprinkle on something, and all of a sudden it's it's fantastic. It's great. You can sell it for more. It's got this designer mark to it. Right. When actually, design is a a long drawn out process and <laughs> a lot of blood sweat and tears it's not just um, it's not just a little drawing Draw on something. A, it's not just a little sketch on a, on a napkin stick it in a 3D printer yeah exactly it's not <laughs> just something you, you, you throw to a manufacturer and say sort that out there's a lot of I, I guess that's why things last though is when they are well designed yep. and they're appropriate for their use and the use continues <clears throat> then they last exactly whereas if they're terrible yeah, they, but that's the yeah. thing. I mean, the consumer doesn't necessarily see that until see the work that goes into a good product, or they don't necessarily yeah. 
understand and, and that's where marketing comes into this yeah. so, you know you're, you're telling the story of why the products come to being and how it's come to being versus mm. something that's just been ripped off and yeah, a lot of these rip-offs nice. they just strip the yeah all of that goodness all of that work yeah. out of it and you're left with a really bad quality it, it used to be i felt like it was easier uh before the recession um go back it a while here <laughs> now because we could talk about um messages around sustainability and i mean everyone was saying green at the time eco-friendly those sorts of words now mm. everyone seems to have banished those a little bit and sustainability is a word that's endured but you could talk about those sorts of things in in that a well-produced product is very sustainable because it will last and therefore yeah there's m there's materials used and there's a process but it's only happening once yeah and not being thrown away six months later but yeah um then the recession hit and it it felt a lot harder the press were talking less about that it was much about get the look and all those sorts of mm. um because nobody had the cash anymore yeah and they're so they didn't to stimulate spending and, and yeah. get people to <laughs> part with their money but they were thinking short term yeah because that's all they as far as they could see yeah uh, it feels like it's coming back now mm. that um we're definitely talking about this more and um hopefully it's like the tide is changing but it doesn't feel like it as strong as it was back then this is true but I, and there is also this sort of is a misconception that good design has to be ex expensive it's not yeah necessarily the case i mean you can yeah. it, sometimes it's harder but, but you can design and manufacture mm. good quality sustainable products at a reasonable price yeah um I mean, a lot of the <laughs> mid-century modern pieces, if you go back to that, like the Roman yeah. day stuff, they have been created and conceived with that sort of vision. Yeah, that, that they would be affordable. That, yeah, that, that sort of post-war, that was you know, why they came about. Um, that was actually in a, talking about the copyright law, um, I did a talk at 100% Design a few years ago, and I did pull up on screen that you didn't have to buy a copy um, so I was—I think I was using the Eames uh, Vitra, uh, sorry, the Eames DSWs or D DSRs, DSRs, yeah, um, chairs as an example. There's so many copies, and those were the biggest ones that the press were focusing on. You can buy a copy for fifty pounds rather than four hundred pounds. Yep. And I was trying to put alongside that, but here's some great design that, and I remember having the, the uh, I forget the name, but it's either Tam Tam stool or something or. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, that stool, which is like £15 or something, I think, um, it's been around for a long time. Then there was Robin Day's polypropylene chair, yep. uh, which John Lewis reissued. There was, I put the jet armchair in there because I did think this is a really affordable price. It's £295 for the armchair and it's comfortable, well designed. And, you know, in a way, like, why do you need more? And rather than going and buying a copy um, of, the I don't know the coconut chair or something for mm -hmm. the same price then you can actually buy a good product that was designed for that price point yeah and that will hopefully last as well yeah but you won't have to replace probably, yeah, a after a couple of years because because it's been it's basically been designed and yeah. made as cheaply as possible you know it's almost a race to the bottom it's going back to this phrase of right. stripping things out but for the wrong reason and going too far where you're, yeah. where you're trying to reduce um, cost where you can and a lot of those 
things that have been considered to to increase the lifespan of a product, to increase the structural integrity, you're getting rid of. Yeah. Um, just to reduce just the price. Just to keep the price down, yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to start on a little a ramble about that, but I'm aware that we're actually running out of time. And can you believe we've been talking for 35 minutes already? Oh, well. um, there was probably one last question, and then I'll wrap up, uh, which was about um, the internet influencing design and can you accidentally copy someone now because you're taking in visual messages constantly mm. do you avoid it do you look at it and have you copied someone accidentally <laughs> yeah. it's interesting yeah because i suppose i mean it's the internet's a, a sort of a double-edged sword in a way in terms of inspiration it's great because we now have access to yeah to cultures to if we're just talking about visual stimulus, we, you know we've got access to everything. Yeah. <laughs> that we, we huge archive. Fifteen years ago, we wouldn't have had access to. So that that's great as a as a resource. It's yeah, yeah. incredible, and it's also it, it democratizes things as well. Flip side of that is that we we're all seeing the same stuff. Yeah. So it it can be yeah it can be quite hard um, to sort of stand out and to to create something unique that is genuinely original um well as original as i suppose it can be because you are learning from things but yeah. it's whether or not you literally see something and then subliminally just accidentally copy it yeah absolutely <laughs> i mean i i don't think i've, I've done that <laughs> to the best of my I'm knowledge sure someone will come forward and tell you yeah i'm sure after <laughs> this yeah um but yeah you, you always endeavor to to create something original i mean for me, I, I suppose the way that I try and do that, I, I always so I, I think about what I'm trying to achieve with a specific project. Yeah. Um, so what what's the design intent? What what am I, I trying to do here? Mm -hmm. For example, maybe the the Hardy chair, which I designed yeah. for another country. That project was. I mean, it it came about after reading a. Thomas Hardy poem called Old Furniture and that sort of in that poem he sort of talks about furniture that he sort of had and it's been passed down through the generations through his family and all these different hands have sort of touched it so that sort of spurred me on to to create this this chair that would have that essence that would have longevity and it would be something you want to keep for your lifetime but then also pass it on to the next generation. Yeah. So it's how, how do you do that? How do you capture that sort of intent and, and, and create a product with mm. that as the driving force? Um, and hopefully, you know, if you stick to that intent, yeah, you end up with something original as opposed to purely saying, I yeah, want I to, <laughs> I want to create something that looks like this, this or yeah, is it this color? Yeah. Well, and something like that's probably a nice example of, um, it feels like it's got it's taken elements from history mm. and it's created something contemporary but it's, absolutely it's uh well that's it it's also yeah it's, it's not it's it definitely references um a couple of sort of victorian yeah. chairs and and it's about kind using the things we've learned processes. through time everything sort of you're standing on the uh, on the shoulder giants shall we say yeah on, on what's come before but you're using these time-honored processes in terms of chair making yeah. and the 
the company that actually manufactures that chair is one of the last wi- uh, traditional sort of Windsor chair mm. making um, companies in the country, if not the, the only one that produces on scale. So it's using their knowledge and their yeah. expertise that they've built up over the years to, to actually produce a fantastic product that is actually quite hard to copy. Yeah. Um, at the right price anyway. I think it and it's not it's not a cheap chair, but then it's a worthwhile investment chair when it is, yeah, it's an investment yeah. piece but but there is a lot of sort of handcraft that goes into that. Yeah. It's not and it, it's gonna it's last for that reason. On, on scale, but it's not yeah. A typical mass produced piece. When we were working with another country I used to refer to we used to talk about these ideas of future heirlooms and yeah. that's the sort of thing that you're yeah, actually consciously buying. Sort of thing, yeah. You know that you know you're going to pass it on yeah. um, and it's going to be that chair that uh, keeps within a family or you know exactly um, that's exactly. kind of to approach something like that is yeah it's the sort of thing that <laughs> you're not allowed to put your feet on it's <laughs> yeah it's 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 cherished it's yeah it's it's seen and respected and yeah it's it's loved for for a long time all yeah, being it's, well it's done quite well that chair as well <laughs> from what we yeah understand. I think it's been 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 very good for for them um and out of all things i've done i'm I'm very proud of it and i I love that chair as well um okay i think i'm gonna have to wrap up one we are over time it's now 42 minutes on recording so uh that's just commuting time people will be switching off (laughs) Um, send the sleep after the uh, (laughs) the powder coating chat Uh, there's a few, um, I'm going to almost do a bit of a shout out kind of thing. So we've talked about Dead Good, we've talked about Case Furniture, we've talked about Another Country, and we talked about Habitat. These are places you can buy your products. Yes. Uh, is there other companies that we've missed? I can think of Dare. Dare Studio, <laughs> yes, of course. Um, Mr. Sean Dare. Um, any, any others? Oh, I mean, Juniper for your M. Of course, point. yes, yes. Juniper Shall I remind you, David? <laughs> uh, CB2 as well over in the States. Oh really? Um, yeah, a couple of pieces of those guys. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> most recently, well, it's more contract side of things, but Godfrey Cyrus, yeah, a company based up in Newcastle, and uh, more, <laughs> more come in. Like, well, yeah, and if you've forgotten anyone, then probably yeah. It's I'm just wrapping my brains now. Um, <laughs> you can just Google your name, yeah. and it will hopefully. But, but quite a, quite a few things coming out next year. Um, yeah, it's the first half of the year, quite a few lo- launches. <laughs> Uh, so how pe- can people find you website is that the best way uh, yes so uh, David Irwin all one word that's I-R-W-I-N uh, dot co just that's dot best way. and you're that's also simple. on Instagram and Twitter yeah that, at the minute that's probably the best thing uh, to find me on Instagram um, your uh, your website's being currently built everything's uh, <laughs> under yeah isn't in the works at the minute so new website new studio question. coming as well um, ah right okay so yeah a lot, of, a lot of new things coming for the new year. So next year's one to watch. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you very much um, for coming. Um, and uh, to everyone listening, just tune in to the next episode. <laughs>